We are three weeks away from the 2021 NFL Draft right here in the CLE. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble. This is the best podcast available, episode number nine, as we get a little bit closer to the 2021 NFL Draft, inching our way to that finish line and the big night in Cleveland, the big weekend in the, in the CLE. The commissioner will be here. Some of the draft picks will be here. Promises to be an awesome, awesome weekend down on the lakefront. Let's just hope Mother Nature cooperates and uh, we're, uh, we're in a good place three weeks from now. If we can get the weather gribbled this week, three weeks from now, yes. life will be really good. I think for multiple reasons, I would have been cool with the draft just being this week. You know, nice weather, you get it over with before the end of April. We can officially move on to the off-season workout program and get these guys here. But the wait uh, will continue for, what is it now, three weeks. So I think we can survive. I think we can as well. Coming up on the program today, Bruce Feldman from Fox Sports, The Athletic, New York Times bestselling author, uh, and a guy who's really plugged into the college football landscape joins us. And you want to learn some things. Today is the day. Bruce Feldman, uh, almost 30 minutes with Bruce talking uh, about defensive ends, corners, linebackers, wide receivers, you name it in this draft. Bruce uh, has done a lot of research and, and taken a lot of time. And, and Gribbs, I know you go back with him a little bit to your days when, when you were covering the SEC. And uh he, the, the guy knows a ton and, and he put out a mock draft, but more so, but more so than the mock draft, it's about the NFL and college people that he talked to uh, and, and their thoughts on each one of those picks that he ended up making. Yeah. And I think with Bruce, I mean, he's one of the most respected voices in college football. And I like that. It's almost like now in the last few years, he's kind of dipped his toe into the draft circuit. And I think that's the, the best thing uh, you can, you can want with someone as knowledgeable as he is. And I, I think, the most interesting thing when we get into this, when we talk to him is he all, every year he talks about these athletic freaks in the draft and he, and, and he talks about them at the college level too. And there's a couple that are kind of linked to the Browns there at the bottom of the first round. And it, it's interesting to get his insight because he's, he's known about these guys for years. So we will hear from Bruce Feldman coming up in just a few minutes right now. These are the stories that are making news this week, three weeks out from the NFL draft. Mock drafts continuing to have us selecting a linebacker gribble. Uh, and it's interesting. I'm not saying that they clearly know something or think something, uh, think a certain way, but it is interesting that linebacker keeps coming up to us uh, in a lot of these mocks. The most recent one, Daniel Jeremiah's uh, mock 3.0, uh, the linebacker from Kentucky, uh, Jameen Davis uh, coming to us. It's just interesting that linebacker keeps coming up when the linebacker room's pretty full all of a sudden. Yeah, and I think it might just be a byproduct of the fact that the the Browns don't necessarily have a big name at the position the same way they do at corner with Denzel Ward and at defensive end with Miles Garrett and even at defensive tackle. Sheldon Richardson's uh, a big name in the league and has been around for a while. So linebackers seem makes sense. I, I think I don't think I could completely rule it out at this point, uh, especially with the way the draft falls. Say the, the, the corners and the defensive ends that you – identify as first round worthy or gone. And then you're left with a linebacker that is a first round worthy pick. And that's the guy you go with. I, it definitely would not be my pick at this point in the process. I don't, I, I wouldn't put it as the number one thing I think is likeliest to happen, but I can't rule it out at this point. And I think with the player that Daniel Jeremiah links to the Browns, Jameen Davis, I mean, this is a guy that has seeming not really come out of nowhere, but just 
has made the most out of the last few months and just looks like uh, a total freak and, and a guy that could really help your defense just from a, a pure athleticism standpoint. Yeah, something to continue to watch because those mock drafts continue to have linebacker going to us. And where there's smoke, maybe there's a little fire as we're approaching. The Someone's got to take them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you're right. And it goes back to best best player available. And, yeah. and if the best player left or available at 26 is a linebacker, might be foolish not to take that person. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I wouldn't say that the linebacker position with the Browns is like the running back position. I mean, you're not just set Correct. with your guys there. I mean, I, I think that there's room to grow and room to get better. And I think it with one of these picks, I imagine you would take a linebacker. It, it's just a matter of if you're going to value it enough to, to take it with the, the first pick. So we'll, we'll see again. Uh, would it surprise me? Maybe not, but it, 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 I just, I'm, I'm back and forth on it, but I think I still see the majority of, of people plugged in going with either a pass rusher or a corner, just because I think they know these are, those are the money-making positions in the NFL and you, you try to get them if you can. Amen to that. Speaking of that uh, corner position, uh, Ryan McChrystal from Number Fire and, and Sharp Football, along with Warren Sharp earlier this week, tweeting out uh, these reported virtual visits uh, and, and starting to leak out who's meeting with who. And according to them, the Browns have met with four corners uh, in Horn, Farley, Samuel, and Newsom. I, I don't think that's a big surprise based on the fact that that corner room still needs a few more bodies. And I would say that defensive end room needs a few more bodies as well. Yeah, I mean, I think all four of those players make sense. And I, I think if you're looking at it, the hope is that at least one is available at number 26. And I don't know if that's a gift. I don't, I don't know if it's a guarantee. I mean, I think that especially with the way people are talking about J.C. Horn, uh, Greg Newsom has seemingly risen from a, a guy that people late mentioned as a second round pick to now going in the high, the upper 20s. So that's someone that you look out for. And Caleb Farley, before the back injury, he was a top half of the first round kind of guy as well. So all of them are, are super talented guys, corners that you would want on your team. And if the particularly with Farley, you're just going to have to trust the medicals and see what what is the right spot for him to go where you're willing to take that risk or if the back thing is not a big deal at all and, and you get a steal at number 26. Yeah. I, I mean, they're doing their, they're doing their homework, meeting with guys and, We'll see where these chips fall. I mean, they're doing their due diligence and, you know, I think they need to. And like you said, it'll be interesting to see if any of those four are still on the board by the time we get to pick number 26. Uh, finally, the Sam Darnold trade has finally happened. And I don't know if any of us saw him going to Carolina, but that's where he is. And um, not a lot given up. You know, the, the Jets, the Jets get a sixth rounder this year and a second and a fourth next year. Um, you know, you get three picks, Carolina's got a couple different quarterbacks and maybe there's still a chance that if there's a quarterback on the board at number eight, that the Panthers get another quarterback there as they try to develop and try to see what they have with Sam Darnold. And if Teddy Bridgewater is a part of that or not to be determined. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely doesn't, don't think this rules out the Panthers taking a quarterback, uh, with their first pick, just cause like you said, the cost wasn't too much and. Darnold's on, on the, the final couple years of his rookie deal. So I think that that's something to, to pay attention to. The Falcons are in an interesting spot because they have a quarterback that is, I would say, right around the top half of the league in, in Matt Ryan. And I, I think he's got at least a few years left. They've got a new head coach who I think would want to win. And I think your path to winning the fastest would be Matt Ryan and not a, not a rookie quarterback. But then you have a new GM who's got to look to build, build for the future. So 
I do wonder if the compromise between drafting a QB at four, like the Falcons could be, or uh, drafting like uh, the top player to give Matt Ryan, the compromise might be trading down and, and getting another good player later in the first round and, and stockpiling your assets. Cause I do think that, 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 that spot in the draft could be incredibly valuable. The only issue is you may not be able to do that. You, you probably would have to make some deals based on hypotheticals before the draft, before you can actually execute. Because I think there is still a tiny bit of mystery around what the 49ers are going to do at number three. And I, I think that that, uh, even though many people think it's Mac Jones, it, it might not be. And, and I think some teams may not be willing to pay trade up to four with that uncertainty of not knowing who they could get. So Falcons are in a good spot. Cause I think if they just stick there, they could take Kyle Pitts and that offense could really take off. And I, I think that, but if they, but they can truly trade down and, and build that team for the future while also being competitive in the present. Cause I, as bad as their record was last year, I didn't think that they were necessarily a bad team. And I, I think that they're always going to be good on offense with, the playmakers they have so it that that it, now it seems like even though the, no one knows what the 49ers are going to do officially it almost seems like the draft now starts at number four and, and we'll see what what end up when's what ends up happening at its spot yeah i know adam schefter was reporting earlier in the week you know the the, the falcons are entertaining calls and you got to wait for the right offer and that right offer might not come till the falcons are actually on the clock three weeks from now so yeah i, mean, I, I think it, i think we're gonna be waiting a little bit yeah, and I think it, 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 like you said, I'm not sold uh, that the 49ers and everybody thinks that they're taking that Alabama quarterback. Eh, I'm not so sure about that. And it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds as well. So a lot of moving, a lot of shaking here around the league. The Browns just sitting back and watching it all unfold, which is always, always a good thing this time of year. For more on the NFL draft, especially on the defensive side and the players that are coming out in this first round, a little wide receiver talk, asked him a tough question, Kyle Pitts uh, uh, or a certain wide receiver. And he was, eh, he didn't, he didn't like that question. It was a tough <laughs> question for him to say the least. Uh, a lot of good stuff with Bruce Feldman from Fox sports and the athletic have a watch and have a listen. And here on the best podcast available, happy to be joined by one of the best in the business when it comes to covering college football and dialed in Fox Sports, New York Times bestselling author, writer for The Athletic. Make sure you go to theathletic.com today and get a subscription so you can read all of his fine work and hear him on the podcast side of things, especially uh, I know uh, Ryan Russillo's podcast most recently talking about your mock draft. The great Bruce Feldman joins us. And Bruce, appreciate a few minutes of your time and a few weeks away from the NFL draft. But real quick, wanted to circle back to your experience this past college football season and what it was like covering this in the middle of a pandemic with teams playing, not playing, games being canceled 24 hours out, maybe the morning of, uh, and all the challenges that you went through here in this past year. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thankful that we were able to get a season in. It was different. Um, last year, um, in 2020 season, I, I always say last year, and I think of 2019, but um, I was in the studio with our big noon kickoff show, so it meant the previous five years I'd been a sideline reporter. So I, you know, the good part was I got to see my family a lot more. Um, it was different. I, I think in those shows especially on the big noon show where we would i would have a 4 a.m wake-up call and we'd be on by seven 
there was a lot of stuff that, like you said, day of cancellations or um, just kind of the Big Ten when they were it when and if they were coming back, the Pac-12 when and if they were coming back. Um, and then once you got into it, I remember there was one particular Saturday morning where I don't really remember exactly now what I was supposed to talk about in our A block, but it became the Clemson FSU who, you know, should they have backed out of the game, all this drama that came from it, a lot of finger pointing. And it wasn't like the most, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, some of this brought out some of the worst in, in, in people um, in regards to some of the finger pointing and some of the innuendo stuff. On the other side of it, and this was a good lesson for me early on, um, the first week of the actual season, there was a couple of uh, Sunbelt teams that beat Big 12 teams. And I remember talking to one of the, one of the ADs in the Sunbelt, like me the next day, and he made the point where this is so different and so much stress on everybody involved in the process because uh, you celebrate a big win normally, you go out and you party with your buddies and, and, you know, kind of can let your hair down. Can't do that in a pandemic really, or else you create all sorts of problems. So that was a good reminder. I think it was a lot of people were asked to be way more disciplined and accountable than they've ever been asked to be. And, you know, I mean, knock on wood, hopefully we are, we are going to have a much more normal 2021. Bruce, whenever we talked to Brown's GM, Andrew Barry and other scouts, they, they talked about how obviously it was a little weird to go virtual, but they treated this past season as business as usual. And they were able to evaluate guys and they're confident going into this draft that they've got a full read on this. What have you heard from just scouts and from what you saw this past college season, how close to normal was this whole process in terms of talent evaluation and getting a good feel on who the best players really are in this draft? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more, um, a, a little blind to be honest because just you can't be there as much the contact was different obviously the medical piece of the combine which we all know is not something that they show on tv but that's a critical element of it um you know i think there's a part of it where you have a bunch of players in the who are likely to be first round picks who opted out and so you know, Greg Rousseau is a young defensive lineman at Miami who had a huge 2019 season. It was really his only year that he's played big time college football. He was a developmental guy who blew up in 2019. There, there was a lot of COVID issues around him. He opted out. Um, you know, I talked to a bunch of people in the Miami program who love the kid, but you just, you know, like, where is he in his development? Just because he's played one season less of football. And I think... There, there's just a lot of uncertainty. You're, you may have some guys who end up in the fifth or sixth round. You're like, whoa, that guy's a first round talent. Why was he, wh what happened? Well, COVID kind of happened, right? And so I just think there's, there's so much uncertainty that's gonna go into it because people had to be pretty hands off. I, I mean, it's not, I, I don't think, you know, the scouts and the personnel people are, are you know, very diligent and they're gonna do everything they can to try to, to close gaps in that. But even Zach Wilson, who's really blew up and was a breakout star in 2020, the BYU quarterback, you know, there's other people who are going to go, you know what, in 2019, when they actually played a more competitive schedule, um, he was banged up. He wasn't healthy. He wasn't the guy that we saw in 2020. In 2020, unfortunately, through no fault of BYU's, their schedule got really watered down because they couldn't get a lot of power five, couldn't get any power five opponents. So 
you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot more uncertainty in a process that already has a lot of uncertainty built into it. And, and with the opt-out guys, is it, is it almost like there's a couple guys that were immune to falling stock-wise, like a Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell, but for the other guys, is there value maybe for some of these guys potentially falling because of that decision? Yeah. Uh, to me, George, Jamar Chase is about as sure a thing as any opt-out guy is. Now he played a, a, it wasn't like he had a huge freshman year. He was a solid player, but in 2019, when they had the national title run, I mean, he had a remarkable year and he ate up every big time defensive back he saw and played great on a big stage. The other thing with him, I think is he was the best receiver on the LSU offense that almost everybody in the side of the program would tell you in 2019. The second best receiver, Justin Jefferson went to the Vikings and had a monster rookie year. I think that that helps you give a sense of what Jamar Chase is. So, but then there's other guys in there who I think Greg Russo to me is high on that list of what are you going to get? You know, where is he? Not because there's character questions because there really aren't, but it's just more of, he just hadn't played a lot. You know, I mean, you have, um, you know, Virginia Tech has a big time athlete at cornerback, Caleb Farley. He opted out. I mean, there's some questions. I mean, he will, he is incredibly fast and long, but there's, you know, there are concerns when you talk to um, coaches who have played against him about, you know, his tackling ability and some other things where they say it's needs a little, needs a little or a lot of work. And if you're talking about a top 15 talent, that's a big investment in somebody like that. And, you know, there's, there are a bunch of guys who fit into that category of, opted out and we don't know what that means meaning you know there's a big defensive tackle uh, uh, Tyler Shelvin who played at LSU had a really good 2019 some people thought he had a chance to play maybe be a first round pick he opted out I think people wondered is he going to show up at 400 pounds because he's a weight issue guy you know he showed up at his pro day at 350 which is probably a little higher than optimum but not not that much higher but my guess is he's not going in the first three or four rounds. Um, and if he had played in 2020, maybe that's a different story. So I just think there's just so many stories you're going to see of that of, hey, what, what about this guy? I mean, Was University of Washington has a couple of D linemen who I think may play in the first round. But, you know, they just Levi Onzerike and Joe Tryon just, you know, they're very talented athletes. But again, they didn't play. And I think it's a different situation for them than, as you mentioned, Panay Sewell for the Oregon offensive lineman, I think was a little more of a, of a uh, known commodity, even though they only played two years. Talking with Bruce Feldman from The Athletic and Fox Sports and one of the, one of the best when it comes to covering college football. And, and Bruce, you mentioned Greg Rousseau, obviously the defensive end out of Miami. Guy on the other side of him, uh, Jalen Phillips, uh, is, is an intriguing prospect as well. And I know someone here in Cleveland, the Browns fans are looking at both of those guys between Rousseau and Phillips. What do you, what do you make of Phillips on the other side and what he's done here in this offseason getting ready for the draft? He is going to be a really tricky evaluation for the NFL. You know, I, I know a lot of those Miami guys who were around him and coached him, and they said nobody played harder. He's also a super freak athlete. I don't want to say, I mean, you guys have one there in Miles Garrett, who's like the a fractional, you know, half a percent kind of special athlete. There's just not, even in the, even in the special world of NFL talent. 
Jalen Phillips, I think, is in that mold. I mean, he's not quite as big, but he is just a really remarkable athlete. He went to UCLA. He was a five-star guy. He had concussion issues. I think there were concerns about how much he loved football at that point. His, his uh, career basically got derailed by injury, and people wondered, you know, how focused was he on football? He went to Miami, and I, I, I don't think the Miami staff had that much. I think they were just kind of like, okay, let's see what we get. I don't think they were buying and saying, oh, this is a five-star guy. He's going to tear it up. And over time, you know, they saw how hard he worked. He reshaped his body because he had really lost a bunch of weight before he got to UM. He bought in as much as anybody did to their program. And then when Rousseau opted out privately, they were like, we have somebody who we think can be maybe even better, but we got to see it. And he played that way. He, I mean, he, he wowed them. But I think from the NFL standpoint, there's going to be the, I guess the two lingering questions are going to be the concussion issue, which honestly, I don't know, you know, you can't really say he has any control over. It's just, you know, is that something where it could be some, you know, bad fortune. And if he has a couple, the career may be shortened. The other one was, I think is an old issue, which is, you know, was, was football his biggest love when he was at UCLA? I mean, clearly it sounds like it is now. And so I, I think there's going to be probably some teams who, who, who know that and maybe be a little hesitant. And there's going to be other people who go, who maybe talk to the Miami guys and go, wow, this guy has matured into a difference maker. And as you guys know, I mean, if you have a big time edge rusher, I mean, that's a, that is such a weapon to have that I think, I mean, from some of the other guys that are talked about in terms of, if Jalen Phillips is is a hundred percent the guy he was that Miami saw, I think Jalen Phillips is better than any of the guys who do what he does in this draft. I think there's there's two linebackers who probably benefited more from the season happening than Jeremiah Wusu Koromora and then Zabin Collins. I mean, what what about them makes them first round linebackers? And just from what you've heard from NFL guys, why why do guys that were just so productive? at this position, it seems like linebacker is one of those positions that's falling a bit just in the draft and in importance. Yeah. Two different body types. Zayden Collins is almost like, I don't know, 10 years ago, he's a four, three defensive end maybe. Um, but he's really good in space. He has a really good feel for uh, playing and coverage. He makes a lot of plays. He's, he is very athletic. I think one of the things that kind of I'm not sure if you'd ask even diehard college football fans or, or even co national college football media, if you would ask them right now in 2019 who Zayvon Collins is, I don't know if a lot of them would have known, um, you know, because he was like a two-star guy and he just really, he played on a team that had a really good year. I mean, they got out the, out the gate and played Oklahoma State, who was a top 20 team, and they gave them a really good game. And I don't, I think people were just like, oh, how good is Oklahoma State? Their quarterback's injured or whatever. And I think then people realized, whoa, the Tulsa defense is pretty good, and this guy's really, really good. Owusu Karamo is, you know, he's a guy who is, I think, maybe 215, 220 pounds. And, the, and so this, where he fits as a tweener, I think probably some people are like, okay, there's definitely a lot of potential here but how do we want to deploy him? And I think what you talk to people who have 
spent a lot of time around him, faced him, coached him, is he's a terrific coverage guy. And that is a, that is a quite an asset he's going to be. Um, a lot of people I know at Notre Dame think his best football is way is really ahead of him. You know, he's from that area. There was a story. One of the guys told me, they said, uh, they've had a game this year where I guess like Allen Iverson, like showed up to see him because he's from that part of that part of Virginia. And just like, um, he said, he's just a really interesting gifted kid who quite honestly, you're for, for like a lot of time, um, you know, probably around the early 2000s, Notre Dame didn't have that kind of like guy on the mm -hmm. defense who was like super athletic and was just like, quite honestly, that he was the guy that, you know, Andrew, when you were in the, you know, doing SEC stuff, that's what, that was what the SEC had a lot of. Right. And it's not what Notre Dame has. Now they had Jalen, Jalen Smith, at, you know, like whatever, eight, 10 years ago, but he was a difference maker for what was a very good defense. I mean, they had two guys, one's in the draft and in, in Jeremiah, the other one isn't and will be in a year, I guess. And Kyle Hamilton, who's this long, super athletic safety, but those guys made Notre Dame really good on defense. So, um, you know, I think to me, you know, I, I could see Zayvon Collins more as a fit for, for Cleveland, but I think whoever, whichever, Wherever those guys go, I expect them to be longtime NFL starters. Bruce Feldman, our guest from Fox Sports and The Athletic. Uh, on the corner front, there's four, four top guys that they're kind of all over the place in terms of how you want to rank them between Sertan, Horn, Newsom, Caleb Farley's an intriguing one based on his injury situation. Is there a lot of separation between those four? I mean, we think Sertan's going to be the first one off the board, but uh, is there a lot of separation between number one and number four at the corner spot? I don't think there is. I mean, Newsom is the one who kind of blew up late, and he taught, you know, from talking to people in the Big Ten, they were like, he is, you know, you'd hear like deceptively athletic and way more athletic than you think. And that's, I think, a function of, of baby Northwestern's profile more than anything else, but he was really good. And then he had a, he had a really impressive pro day and how he worked out. JC Horn to me is the more of the, I don't want to say the wild card because from the people I talked to in the sec, they thought JC Horn was more talented than, than Sertan. Now Sertan came to, to Alabama as a five-star. Everybody knows who his dad was. He's, He's got, you know, a great frame for it. But there are people, coaches I've talked to who thought J.C. Horn was a bigger problem to deal with in terms of they, you know, they felt like we can beat Pat Sertan. J.C. Horn is maybe to a fault, will be ultra physical and handsy and everything, but just like really competitive, really dynamic athlete, great change of direction, had, you know, from from everything I heard, JC Horn to me is the guy that I think could end up being the, you know, the, the prototypical lockdown corner more than the, uh, more than the other three. Um, you know, I'm interested to see what Caleb Farley is just because like, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets drafted by somebody, maybe a little later than people initially thought because of, like you said, some injury stuff because of questions about how well he tackles and maybe two years from now, I could see, you know, watching a game and there's some great receiver that Caleb Farley locks up and all of a sudden people are talking about 
where did this guy come from? Because he just has some really unique gifts and to have that kind of speed and that kind of ability to accelerate and close while being the frame he has. And one for me is just about, you write a lot about freak athletes and and there might not be a bigger one in this draft than, than Jason Away from Penn State. And I'm just wondering how did, how do you translate the freak athletic skills? I mean, his pro day was out, outstanding, but then the lack of production. How are, how do you how do people wrap their heads around that? And and what do you, is there a better projection for him than what than what happened this past year at Penn State? Yeah, I think he had more production in 2019. Obviously, in 2020, the other guy who's the super freak athlete at Penn State, um, Micah Parsons, he didn't play. He opted out. I think without Micah Parsons, I think that hurt a lot of other people on that defense just because Micah Parsons would have been the focus of the game plan and that would have given people a lot more uh, to deal with. Penn State had good edge rushers around him. Shaka Tony's a good player. I mean, they've had a bunch of guys who I think are pretty talented, especially at that position. I think this is a tough evaluation because he's a remarkable athlete. Is he a remarkable football player? Like he's not Jalen Phillips. Jalen mm-hmm. Phillips makes a ton of plays. Now, Jalen Phillips is much more powerful. But, I mean, just in terms of, like, he's a he's a jaw-dropping athlete in terms of how he can run and his explosiveness. But when I think of, um, you know, there's a, Quiddy Pay is another one. He's a different body type. He's 6'2", 265, 270, with an insane ability to change direction. And, you know, he had more of a productive career at Michigan. But there are some guys like that where you wonder, is their best football just ahead of them? Or are they going to be kind of underachievers because their their production doesn't match up with their with their workouts? And so I don't know, like the best case scenario to me for Jason Owe is Ziggy Ansa went to BYU and was bounced around position-wise, how they used them, had some but marginal success but obviously was an amazing athlete and then he got drafted in the nfl and had a very productive career um as an edge rusher and jason always even faster um i just don't know you know if you told me somebody was drafting him in the top 25 i'd be like okay this is going to be interesting you know just like i just the lack of production would scare me, uh, you know, a little about him. I mean, like in terms of, I had another guy on my freaks list who was high up, um, Boye Mafi at at Minnesota, who was an edge rusher, was extremely explosive athlete. And they thought 2020 was going to have a breakout year. And he really didn't. Um, And again, this is, you know, it was a pandemic year and there was a lot of stuff that went on. But there are some guys like that who are just, you know, remarkable workout athletes who maybe don't have the feel for rush, you know, for rushing the quarterback. And I don't, I'm not saying I wouldn't draft Jason Owe, but just in terms of, if you looked at his numbers, you'd be like, okay, this guy's a top 10 pick. If you watch him, you're like, okay, maybe he's, maybe he's a second or third round guy. And then I guess last one for me, a guy that it might be a similarly tough evaluation, but Christian Barmore is probably the top ranked defensive tackle. It seems like, but it's another one of those guys at Alabama that had to wait a lot to play. And it, it seems like the the light came on at the end. Is that another tough evaluation you think for, for teams or is this 
or is he just did he just have to wait too long to play? Yeah, I think he was behind some good players. Um, I, you know, if you told me he was a top 15 pick, I'd be like, oh, that surprises me a little bit. If you said he was a late first round guy, um, maybe. I don't think this is not, he was not Quinnen Williams, yeah. you know, like who was an absolute like offense wrecker when he was at Alabama, who just, you know, obviously went top five. This guy's not Leonard Williams you know, who was at USC and then went high. And I, I think he's a really good player. I don't know, you know, like, I think he's a 10 year NFL probably starter. I just don't know if he's a guy who's a pro bowl guy. Bruce, uh, real quick. Hey, I know we're up against it. We appreciate your time today. Uh, everything's been awesome and it's been great having you. Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase, which one would you take? I hate this question. Uh, <laughs> I think there are two guys. I think there's three guys who are like, okay, I feel like this guy's a real good chance to be a Hall of Famer. Two of them are the ones you just asked about. The other one is Micah Parsons. Um, I don't know. I think, I think, I don't think you're going to go wrong either one. I think Kyle Pitts is different in that he's just, I don't know who the like last Kyle Pitts-ish tight end in terms of, guy is I don't even want to say who so when I did that mock draft there was somebody I talked to who's a coach in the SEC who who works with a former longtime NFL head coach NFL coach and that particular person I guess and this is all secondhand said he thought Kyle Pitts was better than Antonio Gates and going to be better than I forgot who the second uh, Tony Gonzalez and I was just like wow that's heavy statement like Jamar Chase, I think will be a great NFL receiver. Um, I mean, people talk about Kyle Pitts, like he could be as good a tight end as ever played the game, you know? So as much as I'm, and I, I was around Jamar Chase a lot more because I spent a lot of 2019 around that LSU national title team. So I saw how he practiced. I saw what he was like against Derek Stingley, who isn't in the draft, but would be probably the highest rated cornerback if he was eligible to be in this draft and I saw Jamar Chase beat him pretty often in one-on-ones at, at LSU practice but Kyle Pitts is like is a hard one to say the other guy no matter who the other guy is you know and look I get it it's a quarterback quarterback um, world in the NFL but I, I mean if you were to say which of these let's say it goes one two three you know, as we're ta you know, taping this, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Zach, and then Mac Jones. I mean, I would, f if it was like them, the house versus Kyle Pitts, who ends up, you know, has the best chance to be a Hall of Famer, I'm going to take Kyle Pitts on that. So I don't know. I guess my long answer is I'm going to take Kyle Pitts. Sorry, Jamar Chase. No, no problem. All right. One real quick one here before we let you go. You listed, you ranked your top 25 college football coaches. And obviously you had Saban one, Dabo two, and you had Brian Kelly three. Who's your favorite coach to talk to? What do you, is there one that you learn something from every time you talk to them that you're entertained by? Who's your favorite coach to talk to? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, there's a bunch of guys who I would say not aren't like, like, 
this is kind of an off the record. I don't even know, not off the record. This is kind of like an off the beaten path answer, but like Neil Brown, the coach at West Virginia is somebody who I think is just really, really smart and really, really um, is an interesting guy to talk to. The one who, who I always feel like I learn something when I'm around is, is Matt Campbell, the Iowa state coach. And he's a great coach. He's in the top 10 of our list of my list, but um, like, I think with him, like a lot of times we as reporters get caught into the scheme stuff, which we kind of think is trendy and sexy or whatever. And I think what he's really good at seeing is, okay, this is why I bought into this. And it's like, you know, culture gets overused a lot, but I think there's so much substance to him, you know, just like kind of, um, you know, I remember doing one of his games. They played at Oklahoma. It was when Jalen Hurts was a quarterback. So it was two years ago. And they're down 21 to nothing. And they had a couple of players. One of them was their best defensive player drop what should have been a pick six. I don't know if both would have been pick sixes, but one would have for sure. And so I come, I'm walking back on the field, start of the start of the second half with him across the field in Oklahoma. And I was like, how, I forgot what my question was, but like, how do you, how do you get this team back in the game? And he kind of rattled through a bunch of things that he said. And he goes, all I know is I know our team's going to play their ass off. We're coming back. And the game went down to the last play. And I was just like, they lost basically on a two point play. And, you know, it's like for the people who are in the NFL and you kind of hear his name, but it's like, you're probably not paying much attention to Iowa state unless you have a connection to the place. Um, you go, okay, it's a little like Pat Fitz, but Pat Fitz is more out there um, in terms of visibility. He's been there longer. But I think with Campbell, it's like he's the real deal in terms of for anybody who's been around him and spent some time with him, you're like, okay, I totally get it. There's sometimes some names get trendy as people kind of buzz about, you know, maybe they had a great quarterback one year and, oh, they're going to, you know, the NFL is going to sniff around on them. With Matt Campbell, anybody who's spent time around him, you understand why. Bruce, we appreciate the time. Uh, just awesome stuff. And we appreciate that all, all you do. And we enjoy reading you and, and following you and watching you on Fox Sports. Continued success. All the best. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Subscribe to The Athletic today to, to read his great stuff. And Bruce, continued success. Enjoy a, a little bit of downtime before this all ramps up again. And here's hoping 2021 we're – we're back to somewhat of uh, a, a normal college football season, as you mentioned earlier. No, I appreciate it. I love talking about the draft and, you know, it's been fun. I mean, as somebody who covered Baker a lot, you know, I kind of, I try to keep an eye on, on them just because he was a blast to cover. So um, I'm excited to see what happens in a couple of weeks. Bruce, all the best. Thanks again. Thanks guys. Thanks to Bruce Feldman for his time, his insight and his analysis. Great stuff from him. Uh, you can catch him on Fox Sports and make sure you subscribe to The Athletic today to catch his work. Uh, does some really, really great stuff. And as you mentioned, Gribble, dipped his, hand, dipped his uh, pen into the draft uh, stuff here over the last couple of years and done a nice job with it. Your biggest takeaway from Bruce Feldman? Well, I just think the, the knowledge that he has is so, is so vast. And, and honestly, it, it made me encouraged by the things he said about some of these players because I, I think – Ultimately, we asked him about a lot of defensive guys, and I, I think ultimately one of these guys is going to be available for the Browns at some point. And I, I think that 
when you're picking a defensive player in, in the first round of the draft, you're tending to get a little bit of value, especially this year with some of these offensive players going pretty high in the first round. So I think the Browns are in a position to get a good player. It's just not someone I can definitively predict at this point because 26 is, is a lot of picks to wait uh, before you make that selection. All right. Speaking of that, time for our third segment of the program. Will or will not, will the player be there at 26? Do we think today, three weeks out from the draft, again, a lot can change in three weeks, as we've seen over the last couple weeks uh, with numerous teams around the league. Will that player be there at 26 or will they not? Gribble, I'll start with you. Quiddy Pay, Edge, Michigan, will or will not be there at 26? I'm going to go with will not. And I, I think it's because a lot of people think he's uh, maybe the top pass rusher in this year's draft. And I just don't see a, the top pass rusher going all the way down to 26. And I, I think with pay, he's got the perfect mix of like physical freakish upside and had just enough production where at Michigan, where you can think this guy can turn that athletic ability into production. And I, I think that will be enough. I, I think it'll be after the the midpoint of the draft, but I, I, I think he'll be probably gone right around that 20, 20 mark. All right, J.C. Horn for me, uh, corner at South Carolina. I, I, I think we would all love him. I, I Gribbs, I, I think we would all love to see him at pick 26. I think his stock is rising. I think he's probably the number two corner on the board right now with, with Farley's injury uh, and not really sure, you know, what his status is going to be. Unfortunately, I think he will not be there at pick number 26 for the Browns. Jalen Phillips, defensive end out of Miami. Will he or will he not be there at 26, in your opinion? You know, I'm going to go with will not. And I, I know that Bruce touched on some of the questions regarding him that teams are going to have to get answered in the pre-draft process that they're going to have to be comfortable with, whether it's the concussion history or uh, his time at UCLA, things like that. But I think that the memories of what he did last season are just going to be too fresh. And I think that, so you have the combination of the athleticism, how big he's for Miami last year. I think he's going to be tough to, to let sit there all the way to 26. I think he, I, I think he'll be gone. And I, I think that that may, that may make the Browns decision easier at 26 if he is off the board, because I, I think he's a really good player uh, that would make you, especially with his other teammate at Miami, deciding which one to take. I think that he's probably going to be the first one of the two. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. And the fact that I got through that without screwing it up. That's perfect. Gold stars, baby. Linebacker Notre Dame. I think he will be there at pick number 26. And the reason, I think the corners are moving up the board and I think the linebackers are getting pushed back. And I, all of a sudden too, I'm starting to see a lot of mock drafts, scribs, a lot of offensive linemen moving up. And all of a sudden, I think, I think there could be runs on both of those positions, which are, which are going to push a lot of those linebackers down. And hence why maybe we're seeing linebackers still mock to the Browns at pick 26. Yeah, he's an interesting one because I, I, I think there's a – you can look at it two ways. His versatility could be huge for a team. I mean, I think with the way he – how athletic he is, and you could put him at safety, you could put him at linebacker, and then – but then you wonder, our team's going to be like, well, where, where do we play him? Like, and then that might – draw some hesitancy it's it's like I think some people have compared him to Isaiah Simmons but said he's not quite there yet so we'll be interesting I would I would have personally picked will not but I, I think it uh, it would not surprise me if he got to that point 
All right. For you, Gregory Rousseau, the other defensive end from Miami. I'm going to go with Will. And I did have him in my last mock draft going to the Browns. And I, I think that, again, I, I think the year off has hurt some of these guys that maybe weren't the, the sure thing. I mean, you, you hear it brought up with everyone, including Bruce earlier, the one year. And I think one year of, of college football basically could, could make some, draw some hesitancy, especially when that one year was not last year. And I, I think that he is a talented player that had a huge 2019. Uh, but I think he could be someone like where the Browns at 26 could really find something great. And I think, I think he could be there. Uh, Greg Newsom, corner out of Northwestern. I, I am on the fence big time. I, I feel like if he's there when the Bears are picking, there's a solid chance the Bears could pluck him right out of their own backyard. I feel like Jacksonville maybe could make a play for him. Uh, I, I'm going to say will will not be there, uh, but I would love to see him on the board at pick 26. But I think his stock is rising to the point where someone in the five picks before us is going to end up snagging him. Yeah, I think Newsom is like a high floor kind of guy where it's like you draft him and you know you can plug him in and I think you're you're no matter what you're getting a solid player and I think that's the that could be the draw of him with the teams in front of the Browns. All right, for you, Caleb Farley, cornerback, Virginia Tech. This is a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go with will not. And I I think that, which could be great for the Browns if if everything checks out medically, but this is a draft process where there is a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of uncertainty based on the weirdness of the last year. If this stuff – if you know this guy has had back surgery, no matter how minor it is, that that qualifies as a known. That's something you know compared to something you don't know. And I, I just I we see these guys every year that fall because of injuries, whether it be Miles Jack, Jalen Smith with the with the Cowboys. These are more serious injuries, obviously. But it, it seems like the injuries are always the biggest hang-ups with some of these guys. And uh, that that to me with not knowing anything about the actual nature of the injury i i just wonder how teams are going to evaluate it because i i think he's a talented player and i think that all it does is take one team ahead of the browns to be like all right we're good with this this is a steal we're going to take this guy but it, it just wouldn't surprise me so i again could be a great value for the browns at 26 but we'll we'll see if he gets that far because i could then end up looking really silly here and he goes at like number nine or something like that you know i mean he, he that's how that's how good he is yeah, I, I think medicals are actually happening this week in Indianapolis. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, hopefully we'll start hearing a few things and maybe getting some additional information uh, on his status. I mean, I have him falling. I have Newsom leaping over him and, and Horn ahead of him. But like you said, it wouldn't surprise me if all of a sudden at pick 12, he's gone. By, by pick 12, he's off the board uh, because of his talent. Yeah, I mean, and it, again, it's, it's it could also be a byproduct of like the, all these other corners have been really good, and that that's where it comes to how many teams actually want to take a corner with their first round pick. Again, when I look at this this list of like five corners, I don't see one that would disappoint me, honestly. Uh, so I, I think that it, it'll it'll be interesting what order they actually go in here. All right, I'm gonna flip flop things because I, I want you to because you've talked about him before uh, in some of our earlier mock drafts and some of our podcasts, and that's Jason Oye, uh, the edge out of Penn State. Will he or will he not be there at pick number 26? I mean, if there was a combine, this guy would have been the combine all-star, which tends to help some people. 
But then you look at a guy like DK Metcalf, who was the combine all-star and he fell because of the, some questions about his productivity. And I think he'll, I think OA will be there. And I just think that for me, it's going to come down to can, can a team in the top 25 take a pass rusher that didn't have any sacks last year? And I think that that's, that's what you'd have to wrap your head around because I I just do think this guy's a a total athletic freak. I mean, it, it reminds me of, who was, who was the guy with the Bears? Like Leonard Floyd, like that kind of pass rusher, like the super athletic guy who turned out to be super a really good player for the Bears for these last few years. And it's one of those where it's more about trusting your coaching ability to like harness what that what you can do with that athleticism because it, it's it's truly God given. But I, I think that he's someone that is going to cause a lot of back and forth in rooms because you just watch what he can do and you're like this is incredible. But then you have the other people asking, well, why didn't he get to the quarterback? Role? So I do think he will. And it's just, uh, he's, he's an, he'll be an interesting case study uh, it, uh, on, on what teams value and, and where, where that falls. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a couple guys like that. And, and the final one, Asante Samuel jr. The corner out of Florida state. I think he's the one corner that I, that I can say with confidence that I believe he'll, he will be there at 26. I'm not sure about any of the other ones. I think he will be there. I feel confident in saying he will be there. Um, you know, the question is, where is he in regards to everybody else in, the, in, that, uh, in that corner class? And can he be a guy that can be a day one impact type of player at pick 26 for the Browns? How about the pedigree in this year's cornerbacks class? I mean, you got Sertan, J.C. Horn, I mean, with the connection to Joe Horn. Yeah. And then, I mean, this is wild i mean that's we've never i don't know it's making me feel old first off and then secondly how have you had like one position group have this much nfl pedigree in it that's just crazy yeah it'll be interesting to see i think he's there i think he's an option for the browns at pick number 26 we want to thank bruce feldman for his time uh all of his time and his insight fantastic interview uh, Jeff McDaniel for all of his hard work behind the scenes. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts, like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. You can also check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Browns. We are back with you next week, two weeks at that point to the NFL draft. Looking forward to it and seeing how things unfold. Will there be another big trade in the NFL? in the next seven days. Something to watch indeed. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Till next week, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.